You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hey everyone, happy Wednesday! Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. Uh, first and foremost, I wanted to thank you, my fans. So the first thanks uh, goes to username SISBDSIB. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Um, on iTunes, who left the review saying, learned a lot from Daniel, looking forward to the next episode. Thanks a lot for leaving the positive review. I really do appreciate it. I have been noticing that a few of you have also been giving me five stars. So I really do appreciate it and, you know, continue sharing the love. I'm not going to say no to more five stars. So it just gives me more feedback on whether I'm doing a good job or not. So I really do appreciate it. And thanks for really taking the time to even leave a review. And so for the rest of you, if you do leave a review, I will read it and you will get a shout out. So if that's some kind of incentive to get your name out to the public, then yeah, I encourage it. Um, there's actually a second review, and I apologize because I didn't know this even existed. So one limitation for you Android listeners has been that you can't leave a review because Google Play Music is just not a great platform, apparently, compared to iTunes at least. But I found out that there's a platform called, I think it's uh, cast.fm, and you can leave reviews there. So I was on it one time, and it's this great platform where you can listen to all the Android-based podcasts. And so I have to give out this second thank you to Emily Pickett, who left a review on cast.fm. And so that's cast.fm. I'm not really affiliated with them, but since you can leave reviews there, I am definitely saying go check out their platform and you can leave a review um so emily said hey awesome podcast just thought i'd drop a comment and let you know we came across this from a post-it note that was in a cafe in hanoi so this was fucking sick when i read this review i was like wow this is amazing this is literally just next level guerrilla marketing and totally worked so thanks emily for taking the time to listen to the podcast even while you're in vietnam so this Hanoi thing is a weird story, and I will talk about it a little, talk about it a little more detail in my vlog. But long story short, I was at a coffee shop in Hanoi that was just filled with Post-it notes. I think it's called Post-it Cafe or something, and it, you have tables, walls, everything's just covered in Post-it notes. Everyone's just leaving messages. Some are witty, some are sad, and some are just advertisements. And so mine was an advertisement. I said. I, was th I think I wrote down, hey, check out Accounted For, my podcast about career journeys. And I didn't think anyone would read it, but apparently it works. So I got a single listener out of it. So I'm really happy about that. So yeah, thanks, Emily, again, again for leaving that review. And oh yeah, so I kind of skipped over it. So for you listeners who did fill out the listener survey, a number of you have asked for updates on my own journey. And some of you have said, hey, you know, how about doing another podcast episode on what you're up to and thanks a lot for being curious about what i'm up to and so to appease that i started a weekly vlog series so vlog video log series on youtube the link will be in the show description but i will also be providing the weekly episode link if you subscribe to my newsletter so just make your life 
easier <laughs> and just uh, subscribe to the newsletter. Just check it all out at, OM, uh, at omdventures.com. And yeah, I'll have more links in the description for subscribing and, you know, just my site in general. So if you're a true fan, you know, subscribe, be in the loop. And yeah, that would really help me out. So without further ado, uh, so today's guest is Aaron Levitz. Aaron is the general manager of Wattpad Studios. And Wattpad is out, I think it is the largest uh, social network for fictional story writers. And how can I explain Aaron? Well, simply put, he is a person who went from dreaming about designing Ferraris to producing movies. So that's wild. He is a mechanical engineer by trade, and he quickly pivoted from automobiles to fuel cell technology, a job that he got whilst playing beach volleyball. And we go into just a weird story about that. And then fast forward that to working at a trivia startup in the mid 2000s. So before HQ Trivia was even in existence. And then he's doing things like making partnerships with NBC to stream the Olympics on his company's app. And then after even having this dream job, he is let go. And after that, he's just journeying through his way and he finds his way to create this Spotify equivalent at BlackBerry and acquiring media content and all that. And this is just the beginning of his media journey. And fast forward now, he's producing live movies for Wattpad, the actual uh, social network site. And he has created this Wattpad Studios to help create movies for these stories that are on the actual social network. So this was just a fascinating story of someone following his North Star of media and technology. And it really was an inspiration for me. And I hope it is one for you as well. And you might think, oh, Dan, you told his entire life story on the intro, but that's how much more there is in the interview that I could just talk about all this stuff and that's just not enough. We just barely scratched the surface. So yeah, I really hope you enjoy this interview. And so yeah, without further ado, here is my chat with Aaron. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, we have Mr. Aaron Levitz. Hey Aaron, thanks for coming to the podcast. My pleasure, man. Aaron here is the general manager for Wattpad Studios in Toronto. And so Aaron, for our guests who may not be familiar with Wattpad and specifically Wattpad Studios, can you give them a kind of quick overview on the company? Absolutely. Um, Wattpad is the world's largest social network for readers and writers. We have 70 million plus users coming every month to write stories, tell stories, share stories, and read stories. Um, you can find a story for literally anyone on our platform if you want to read zombie horror to romance to mermaids to science fiction, every genre, probably thousands of genres you've never even thought about yet, and it's all happening on Wattpad. The really interesting thing about the platform is the conversation that's happening around those stories. So a book's a transaction, you go to a store, you or you're an author and you write the book, you put it on a shelf, I go to a store, I buy it, I read it. If I'm like a super fan, I'll leave you like a Amazon review or something like that. There's no interaction. You have no idea as an author what your writers like or what your readers like, what parts of the book, do they like this chapter better than that chapter. Wattpad is a conversation. So you write your first chapter and the audience starts to discuss with you. 
they'll say, you know, why did you put that person in a blue coat? Why did they go left instead of right? And it's not about the author necessarily listening to everything. It's not choose your own adventure. They have a vision for what they're going to put out there. But starting with that first chapter, they're starting to create an audience. And what we see is that as stories grow, and, and most of our stories are not the transaction of write 250 pages and put it on a shelf, they're serialized week by week, much like this podcast. Uh, and you'll see those same audiences coming back week after week to see how the story's unfolding, engage further with the writer, going, okay, well, I get why you went left, but why did you go left again? Like, please listen to me. And that whole time, the author is getting even more addicted to writing the story because they have an audience egging them on, they're starting to get new ideas from the audience. Maybe this time they do go left finally. Um, and we start seeing real communities and fandoms being created around these stories, around these pieces of IP. Um, and we have lots of them. We have 500 million plus stories on the platform today. We add about 500,000 new uploads every day. It's basically more reading than you could do in your entire lifetime is uploaded every day to Wattpad. In 50 plus languages, we have a user in every country in the world at this point. And from that, we get a vast amount of data. We understand both macro and micro trends happening. So we can tell you that there are amazing stories about Muslim romance happening and are interesting to people all over the world. Why? Because people are kind of getting sick of seeing like two people meet at a mall. Like we've all seen that story a million times. Um, so the fact that this Muslim cultural romances are starting to rise to the top globally, it's because people want different versions of love. So we can see a trend like that. We can then dive in to find a really amazing story within that trend and understand at a micro level what the audience feels about that story. So on Wattpad, you can really comment down to the paragraph. You can say, I love this paragraph because of this, or I can't believe this this character dies here. They sh they're the best part of this story. Like, keep them alive. And that's what Wattpad Studios is born of. Wattpad Studios is born under un, out of the fact that we can take this massive amount of data about entertainment properties from all over the world, find stories that are amazing, written by brilliant creative minds who often just had an idea for a first chapter a couple months ago and now have millions of readers of their story all over the world and bring that to whether it's film studios, TV, uh, book publishing, games, VR, AR, anything that's based on a story and go, look, you wanna make an amazing movie. Here's a brilliant, here's a brilliant sci-fi story. It could be the next Avengers. But we are even audience built in and they're going to show up night one to go see that film or go to the bookstore and buy the book we published based on it. And that's the whole point of Wattpad Studios is to take these data driven stories that are made by amazing human beings all over the world and give them a better chance of success in whatever it's adapted to. Wow. Gotcha. And in terms of the business itself, and is it like a um, kind of pay subscription thing? Like if I want to go on Wattpad and be to have to be a subscriber to see these no, stories uh, you know wapad is a free platform gotcha so you have and, and most of our writers this is true of they didn't start to be professionals they didn't start to be some of the and if you look at one of our writers like anna todd um she's literally one of the biggest authors in the world right now you know her, her, her movie based on the books after comes out april 12th theaters everywhere um, but her books have sold millions and millions of copies globally. She's a bestseller in 10 countries, including a New York Times bestseller. But she all started with the idea for her first chapter that she wrote on a bus between, you know, where she was working in her house. So that is the power of Wattpad. It's, it's really that ability to start with that first chapter. But, you know, they don't 
she didn't pay to be on there. She just had an idea. And that's what WAP has become really good at. It's giving writers who just want to write as this is a hobby. This is something I'm kind of interested in. I want to test out. It's great for that. But now we're getting to the point where um, we can really start creating careers for people. So Anne is an amazing example who's, you know, one of the best known authors in the world probably at this point. However, you know, we have the capability for our writers to work with brands. Uh, you know, we have a whole brand team. So they're working with the H&Ms of the world and the AT&Ts and the National Geographics to create amazing uh, content for them from an advertising perspective. And they get paid to do that. We have paid content now, which is the ability for some of our writers to actually charge for some of their content online. For the majority, the vast, vast 99.9999% is free. Some of these stories now you can buy per chapter as you go through it. Um, so really, you know, studios is one part of creating a career for writers. But really Wattpad on a whole part of our mantra is being what a writer wants us to be. And if it's just a hobby writer, an aspiring professional, or even massive writers like Margaret Atwood, who writes on Wattpad all the time, who uses it to create a community and uses it for marketing of her new stuff, we really want to be able to be what writers, what, what makes sense for that writer, basically. Gotcha. Yeah, I want to... I would say I kind of really started getting into this whole media, this new form of media relatively early in this year where as I started thinking about building out my platform and realizing that I think I have this big content platform that I want to start utilizing. And I recently started getting paid by Medium for like my articles. And that's when I started reading about Evan Williams and the Medium business model and just realizing more about how it seems like the whole media landscape is changing drastically. Like, And if you... But I didn't realize it until I started looking deeper into it. And even in, like, Wattpad's primarily in the fiction genre. But, um, like, I recently watched this Netflix um, animation series called um, Love, Death, and Robots. Yes. Have you watched it? Oh, yeah. I'm a couple episodes in. I'm not done, but it's phenomenal. So it was just right up my alley because the only fiction I read is dystopian or that kind of stuff in nature, very, like, dark stuff. And I watched the entire thing in a day, the entire, like, they're all like 10 minute clips yeah, yeah. right and so it was just amazing and then i was so into it that i found out who was in the entire team and i found out all the short stories that they pulled it off of and I was, this is amazing stuff and that's when i think it kind of clicked with me that this this is probably like what 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 and like what pet series is like trying to like create as well where you guys have all the stories now and you can actually go and produce things and yeah. make them into movies well you know, I always say this, more universes are created on Wattpad every day than anywhere else in the universe, right? With 500,000 new stories coming every day, there's just an endless number of universes. And we find the universes that someone really loves. And whether it's a romance universe or a sci-fi universe or a dystopian werewolf universe, I don't know. We have probably, I mean, I know we have dystopian werewolf. I just haven't looked them up yet. Um, what the studio side wants to do is expand that universe. Um, and whether it's to screens or bookshelves, because, you know, the book that ends up on a shelf is edited and different than what would be read on Wattpad. Um, you know, we know that the audience is rapid, just like you went and found out everything you could about death, uh, death and robots. Our audience will go to a theater. You know, we, you know, we have a show on Hulu in the U S called light is a feather that just got re up for a second season. And we found it because it, you know, went from like I think 200,000 to 6 million reads really quickly faster than anything we'd seen in the paranormal space on our platform um, and the the show is like Pretty Little, Li- Pretty Little Liars um, meets like uh, meets witches basically um, and 
and uh, it really gave us uh, a jewel when it like remained in the top 25 paranormal stories on the platform forever. So we knew there was a rabbit f- uh, fan base and we knew if we expanded it to TV that we would have viewers there and that comes in success of getting a second season for it. So um, absolutely, it's about expanding audiences um, and expanding the universes they love and giving them different ways to experience it. So you know now it's film, TV, and book publishing. You know It could be games, it could be AR, VR, one day theme parks, who knows, but that's really what the studio is looking at. It's like, how do we take those stories off and adapt them all over the world? So we have partnerships in, in Germany uh, with Bavaria Fiction. In Indonesia, we're doing uh, 26 films with iFlix, which is one of the biggest streaming platforms in, in, the, uh, uh, in the region. Um, and just expanding that global kind of view and vision of taking these really great stories from diverse voices all over the world and giving them a better chance of success and adaptation. Wow, and but you you know right now you're this big uh, you know media person, but bef- you know your background is as a mechanical engineer, and yes. I think that's that that kind of made when I first saw your profile, I thought this is fascinating. I've got to got to learn more, and you know, you you have an IMDb page now, but you have like nine productions under your name. Possibly, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like I I was going through, I was like, wow, yeah, like, and you you're joking about how your mom finally understands what you do for a living now. It's absolutely. I know um, the only hits on my IMDb page are probably my parents. Um, but yeah, that was the first time in however long my career is, which I'll save you from counting that number. That's the first time they've really gone, okay, I finally get what you do. You make <laughs> movies or something. I'm like, perfect. Let's just say that. It's going to be easier. <laughs> yeah. And well, you're also the first person that I know who has an IMDb page, so uh, I guess you're my first official celebrity uh, relationship. <laughs> I don't know whether to say thank you or feel sorry for you. <laughs> it's, uh, but appreciate it. Um, and it's it's funny because you talked about when we first met about how you know you had this initial dream of designing Ferraris, and now you produce movies. And you talked about how in your childhood you thought about journalism and you know writing as a career. Why was not why was that not the initial pursuit? Why engineering was that was writing kind of not looked fondly upon back then? No, not at all. I mean, I think you know if especially coming out of high school, like I, I loved creative writing. Right. Um, I was pretty good at you know the facts and sciences and whatnot. So I thought journalism was kind of a good match of that. Um, I had the option to look at music potentially as well, and engineering. And I really, you know, engineering probably because I was good at Lego. Um, and I really just looked at the three and said, look, writing and music are great hobbies are probably harder to make a career out of and engineering seems to be a place you can make a career out of. So, you know, why not go into engineering and keep kind of the writing and, and music or really entertainment as something that I can do on the side and just enjoy doing versus making it the focus of my career. And so it sounds like a very stoic, really smart choice back in the time. Uh, but that's probably why I chose engineering. But, you know, there's still as romantic as that vision of being Hemingway running around, like running with the bull. There is, as you pointed out, the romantic vision of engineering as a mechanical engineer back then is like, I'm going to design Ferraris. Um, and that's the romantic view of engineering. I'm going to design planes. I'm going to create new energy sources to save the world. There's a very romantic view of engineering that I had, a very artistic view of engineering that I had. Um it's probably different than a lot of people who would go in and go, I'm doing this because I'm good at math. 
I was good at math. Like, don't get me wrong. I did calculus with the best of them. But like, I went in because I had this romantic view of the output of what we would get to do in engineering. Yeah, I think um, it's funny because you went to Waterloo for mechanical engineering and that was the program that I applied to and that was going to be the program I went to in Waterloo. And I, it's, tr it's true that I didn't have that kind of creative um, romanticization of engineering. I didn't think, I, it just never popped into my mind that it could be a creative field. My, it was, I went to, I picked engineering because I got deterred away from architecture, which I thought was more like the creative side. And then because my portfolio wasn't very good, I thought, I guess I'm not a very creative person in, in a very fine artsy way in yeah. that 16 year old mind. And so I dealt my portfolio and I thought, I'll just go to engineering. What else do I like? I like, you know, military history. I'm going to go make weapons. Found out all these companies in Maryland that are in like defense and weapons. I'm like, <laughs> all right. Mechanical engineering can probably make tanks and aircrafts. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go to that. Um, and, you know, some of my listeners know my story took a weird turn and I went into business. But you also, you didn't end up pursuing that car um, way though. You, you know, had a bunch of co-options and you told me about how you realized, like, the, you met the guy that made windshield wipers yeah. or something in the car. So it was this moment of, like, crushing, crushing defeat of your brilliant vision, you know, and you're like 20 years or 19, whatever I was, years old. And you get to your first co-op job and it's like in an automotive space. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to work my way up. And like, I am going to design the car. I'm going to be the dude who's the car dude. Like, oh, everyone go ask Aaron because he's designing the Ferrari. And the first person I met uh, had been working for this company for 20 odd years. And man, he... He designed the best windshield wiper motors in the world, but that was his job. He just designed the windshield wiper motors. And I went, oh, oh my, oh my God. Like the reason I went into this is not the reason I am gonna end up doing this if I want to do it. And really interesting enough, like mechanical engineering was always interesting to me because it, it's actually a really broad uh, discipline. So it includes, you know, design and like, you know, go design a car and, but it involves things like fluid and thermodynamics, which is, um, oh God, I feel so nerdy doing this. My, my brain has to use parts it hasn't used in years. Um, you know, it's really the study of how things flow, but how you move energy around. So when you're designing power plants or uh, looking at aerodynamics, like how do you design airplane wings? So there's that part of it. There's how do materials work? Like how do you make steel stronger? Or what's the next, you know, great material that could change the world? Um, there's the robotic side of it and the mechatronic side of it. So there were so many routes you could go, but I was pretty set on this design, right? Like this is the thing. And it was actually that moment where I went, I better go look at all those other things mechanical engineering does um, to kind of find a path for me that made sense, which kept that kind of, kind of the art of engineering alive for me. Yeah, and you, it seems that in school, you kind of continually pursued that in that, in that mind of, okay, well, I'm going to, try to still stay creative on the side or do all these projects and he started a drama play like the Ange play yes i was then. one of the me and another gentleman uh he was the producer i was the director of um i believe it's still going the the waterloo engineering play um we did the first ones uh i'll save the year but uh early 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 2000s um and yeah you know it, it's something i had done uh, a bunch of uh, script writing uh, just for fun in my life I had directed plays previously in my life and it was great to be able to find other engineers who were also 
I don't know whether they were left brain, right brain, probably all center brain, kind of like I'm, I feel myself, I'm fairly centered, like a little bit of art and a little bit of science built into me. But that was great, right? Knowing that you're not the only person who thinks about engineering in that way is like, it's just part of who you are, not exactly who you have to be. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a, a really good experience and we sold out both nights, I believe that we did, but it was like, it was a ton of fun experience to be able to share a purely, I mean, okay, play is very technical to put together, but like an artistic experience, uh, a creation experience with a bunch of engineers. It's just, it was really one of my highlights of, of being in my undergrad for sure. Yeah. And you, and when, when, not, when you were first telling me that kind of story and I was listening to it, it my first inkling of a thought was, well, given that kind of um, obvious passion that you had, um, not many people I know would are so in love with the creative side that they would start a play in, <laughs> in their entire faculty, uh, one that continues to run even till now. And um, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. but at that point though, it, it made me think that, I wonder why Aaron didn't go into like theater production or stage design or something like that where you can still apply a lot of the design yeah. uh, thinking from mechanical engineering and go straight down that creative path just from the get-go but instead you went to do fuel cells <laughs> you did yeah. fuel cells energy and you did a master's in fuel cells sure and did. i think I, so i was counting the years and i think you've been doing kind of the energy side for about a good like six years until you, i think you kind of hit on um when you worked at i think it was live um was it live hq it's like uh live five live yeah five. yeah i mean so it's interesting because you say like I'm, you're surprised I didn't go into set design. First of all, I'm a terrible welder, so I could never do set. I found that out in mechanical engineering too. Like I am not someone you want to weld anything together. It is not good. Um, or I will burn myself severely, one of the two. Um, but the way I always looked at engineering for me was, I love the art of engineering. And I said that kind of earlier, but I love, I do love math. Like, let me, let me be really clear. I love, I used to teach calculus to like, I, TA calculus and taught calculus at university and heat transfer, all these really technical things because the idea of being able to start with nothing on a piece of paper and build from first principles up to these massive equations that could describe how a power plant works or how hydrogen is turned into electricity is fascinating to me. Like I love learning anything from first principles. Um, so, you know, I, when I studied engineering, it was never like memorize this formula. It's like, why is that formula what it is and how can I build it myself so I don't ever have to memorize anything if I understand the basics, building blocks of engineering, uh, I shouldn't need to do that. That was really artistic to me because there wasn't a right way or often a single way to do it and there was multiple paths, which is actually what led me to my master's degree. Like engineering undergrad is very, you know, I think one of the things that got me to where I am today is like I learned to think like an engineer and that methodology of thinking of solutioning of step-by-step breakdown of processes, taking massive systems and breaking them down into their first principle parts helps me in everything I've tried to do somewhat over the last way too long. Um, but uh, when I looked at the masters, that was like a really lateral approach to engineering instead of a, a, just a, a focused approach. You know, in engineering and undergrad, it's like, here's a problem, there's one answer, you get it right or wrong. When you get your masters, it's like, here's a problem we're thinking might have a solution, good luck. And there may be a solution or there may not be. And how you get to that solution, well, no one's ever done it before. So are, are you, you know, you're gonna read some papers that other people have written, but you're gonna take a slightly different view of it. So, all right, there's no real answer. 
and I thought that was another romantic view of engineering where we're actually going to solve a problem that may not have an answer. Um, and it was that first principles work that I applied to hydrogen power. Yes. Uh, as you pointed out, um, uh, at the time there was a lot of, actually, I mean, what it ended up being is I really wanted to do startups and, uh, I got into my undergrad right at the time where the bubble burst and all the Valley like crashed and there were no jobs there. And the only place money was going still was in clean tech. And I kind of went, oh, cool, I'll do a master's in clean tech and then find, and that was my first startup. Like you said, I worked six years. The startup in Vancouver called Angstrom Power, where we were putting fuel cells, hydrogen power in cell phones. Figured that out, and it kind of worked, and it was great. But um, uh, a really great experience, because that was my first startup experience, which I really wanted. Um, but, you know, going back to that North Star of always really being left and right brained, I figured coming out of my master's where I still wasn't going to be an engineer, like straight on the nodes, that that place between tech and entertainment would probably be my North Star forever. I didn't know how I'd get back into it, but that's where I wanted to be. Like if I could take really, whether it was take something that was brilliantly artistic and find a way to bring a technical aspect to it or take something very technical and bring it to the entertainment space, like I just knew I would be down that center line. And that's, as you said, I think brought me to Live Hype eventually. Yeah, and how, how did that inflection point kind of happen? Was it a purposeful decision that you were making at like a specific po- point where you thought, okay, I think I've hit a point where I'm doing all the math I love, but I miss the creative side. And or how, how did it go about in your mind? Yeah, I think when you're doing your ma- doing a master's is a very solitary experience, especially when you're doing. Like I wasn't in a lab doing testing. I was I was creating a giant computer model. Like I think my final model was probably like a million lines of code or something ridiculous. Um, it's really solitary, and you realize that the part of art that I love, you know, like if I direct a play, it's the artistry, but it's the camaraderie that came with artistry there. And like you're working on this these lines of code, and it is a great way to burn a day. Like I can start even today when I have to very rarely code more for you know Wattpad does not want me to code let me be very clear about that ever uh better for the business but um you know it's a great way to lose yourself and and there's a a massive amount of artistry in coding as well um it is an art form uh, it is a language um but that solitary piece of it was never it's never the right thing for me like i i love human interaction i love explaining and talking and speaking and so what I did at that point was said, look, I'm really good at, I mean, I was 23, so I wasn't really good at anything yet. But like in my mind, I was good at taking something technical and explaining it to someone not technical. So if I could find my way into the business side um, of a technical field, that would start to bridge that gap, which would get me back to being able to get outside the walls of the lab and meet people in the world and, you know, I found, you know, everyone you talk to could be your next, they could be your next employer. They could be the person who introduces you to your next employer. So then I didn't do that full shift and went, I'm going into entertainment right out of my master's. I said, like, what skills are going to be most transferable if I can get, if I can eventually find a place I want to get to. And so that moved to business development. I didn't even know what business development was until I got my first job in business development. You know, that is not a term you learn in university, right? Um, but yeah, I started doing business and corporate development for that first startup. And um, it really did give me, you know, I met my first VCs. I met my first uh, private investors. I 
started figuring out landscapes and understanding that, you know, technology sometimes needs a problem to solve and sometimes there's a problem to solve for technology and someone has to be able to sit in between the people who have the problem and the technology often to make that actually come together. And that was a good kind of harder skill, I guess in some cases I was considered a soft skill, but like that's a harder skill that was going to be transferable. So it wasn't like I knew I could just go, all right, I want to go work at a music label today and I want to be their digital expert. Um, I tried to have those discussions, but like I didn't have anything in my portfolio that said I'd be good at that. So learning that kind of business side of the business um, seemed like a good place to kind of start that transformation of my career. And then Vibe Five then just came up as an opportunity to come back to Ontario. Yeah. Um, I had a friend who was there, a friend who knew, A, my love of gaming, um, the fact that I wanted to be out of the industry I was in. Um, and my time at Angstrom was phenomenal. And uh, that industry still, like being at that company was amazing, but the industry I wasn't as in love with as I could have been. Um, she knew that and she was... Uh, at this startup in Waterloo. Very hard to escape Waterloo for me. You'll hear this in more questions I'm sure you're about to ask me. Um, you know, you leave you leave after doing your undergrad, I'm never coming back here. And then you do your master's, I'm never coming back here. And then you go to do your first uh, gaming startup there. So um, ended up back there just because a friend had heard me say that this is something I love. And I think that just taught me to, you know, it's okay to tell people what you'd rather be doing sometimes because uh, you never know when they're going to open a door for you. Um, and ended up back at that startup uh, in Waterloo Club Live Five, and it was basically kind of probably remember the term social gaming, and we don't really use it anymore. But you know, when Zynga first came out and it was doing Farmville, that was all called social gaming. Mm. This predated that. It was doing a lot of the stuff that made Zynga huge, um, using the same metrics, using the same methodologies, but unbeknownst to us, like Zynga, like, it's not like Zynga copied this company or anything we just happened to be doing invent, invented light bulb at the same time maybe um, but we were doing it for interactive tv so what would happen is we would have a group of people in the back room watching a show and it could be the olympics it could be american idol didn't matter but any show on tv um let's take a, a hockey game we're in canada i'll use a hockey expression um and they'd be watching and they could ask questions like, okay, well, who's going to make the next pass? Or who's going to score the next goal? What will the final score be? And for each of those questions, you could answer and you'd get points for them um, as a player. And you'd play along on your laptop while the game was on. There was like a, we had our own website. We did a lot of branded entertainment. So we worked with like NBC on the Olympics, uh, NBA finals. We did CFL with Nissan here in Canada bunch of others and I, I I kind of ran the group that was doing the outside business um, like that branded content piece well so you were building all these networks with all these uh, yeah I guess other entertainment providers as well and that was my first experience actually working with big entertainment companies was like when you work with NBC on the Olympics and your everything seems to be going wrong at the last second you're on with all the big wigs at NBC and it's your first day at the company and you're like Guess I'm in entertainment now. All right, sweet. This worked. Oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, but yeah, that was a, kind of my first experience. And it was in the process of doing gaming, which I loved. And this was like the first time I'm like, okay, great. I'm, I'm finally getting to the things I really want to do in my life. Um, 
and uh, it was super interesting. It was an interactive TV kind of version two, we called it. There was like an early version of interactive TV that tried to happen maybe in like the late 90s that failed because there was really not enough, there was no real connectivity with the TV at that point. Now we could connect real time with the internet and do this all over the world. And it was a super interesting uh, concept. And that was the first again, step towards that North Star of tech and entertainment. Oh my God, I'm doing it, it's great. Um, yeah. So was- did, did you keep, did you keep on um, doing like other kind of entertainment work while you were doing um, when you were at Angstrom, or like how how did you prepare yourself when you just you know got into live hive and you said okay now I gotta sit down with every big entertainment executive <laughs> and now I gotta create these partnerships? Um, so there's two sides of that. Um, one was there was preparation. So at Angstrom, um, one of the things that drew me to Angstrom was not only that it was in the field of my masters, but it was also in the mobile field. So as, as I mentioned earlier, like we were trying to put, we were trying to replace batteries and cell phones with small fuel cells that could like double the, the length of uh, use of that cell phone uh, in comparison to a regular battery. But in the early research of looking at the business of the business it was really obvious that the driver of that increase, and this was 2000 and I joined there 2005. So this is two years pre iPhone. This is still like Blackberry, BlackBerry and Nokia are doing, you know, in fact, BlackBerry hasn't even peaked yet. Um, but you're looking at it and um, people like HTC and LG are starting to make these phones with keyboards. They're starting to get some internet connectivity. You're starting to see a few mobile games and, you know, it became, became obvious to me that the driver of mobility is not going to be communication. It's going to be entertainment. Um, so I started as part of Angstrom going like, if we don't understand how entertainment is going, if we don't understand how much time people are gonna be spending watching video or on the internet, and those are big power draws on the battery versus like texting doesn't really take a lot. You can text forever, right? Even listen to music almost forever on a phone, right? Um, but if we don't understand those trends, like when, what year is video gonna be big? What's the first video applications? If you don't understand that, then A, you could solve a problem too late. Like if video is going to really be the biggest thing two years from now, we can only release in four years. We're going to miss that or even worse, be too early. Like if video is going to be four years and you need to deliver in two for your investors, um, well, you're not solving a problem that anyone actually has right now. So going to a battery, which is a well-known system to our system would, was not going to happen. So I got to start diving into um, the mobile space and understanding how mobile's uh, entertainment was going to affect mobile. Um, and I got really passionate about that and started understanding every new phone coming out and what it was going to be used for and why was this screen bigger and why was EA making games for this one and not that one. So it gave me kind of a live PhD in the really early days of mobile, pre-iPhone. Um, you know, Motorola Razor ruled the world back then. God, I made you myself. It's not okay. Anyways, um, and so it really let me find the piece of my brain that wanted to be satisfied by being in tech and entertainment, even within this energy industry that I was in, which was really great, which is why I love that experience. Cause it was what I wasn't making power plants. I was really solving something that was really close to my heart. I found out, but I only found that out after I started really, that that was what I had to dive into. Yeah. I think, I think that's fascinating just because like it on, on the surface, yeah, it just looks very weird that you went from fuel cells to being able to just, Oh yeah. And I can sell partnerships with big entertainment companies, but 
it, but you could not have predicted that, right? You could not have predicted that this would happen, but you kept on thinking about, okay, how can I, like, just being constantly curious about the entertainment world. And I think just being even so plugged into it to even see that this is going to probably happen. Mobile is probably going to be about entertainment. I don't feel like if, like, if, if I was in that situation, I don't think I would have been able to see that. Like, I was, I was young, I was using phones. I had no idea until like, it became so plainly obvious that, okay, yeah, everything's going to be a mobile. But I think that kind of, I think, this constant mindset to like, merge or well together that entertainment and tech like, allow you to see something like that. And sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I don't know. And I was going to say, you, you mentioned about the, the danger of um, being early. Yeah. And you talked about how Live Hive predated Zynga and, you know, we a lot of people know about Zynga and a lot of the great social games that they produced. Was that an, a problem for Live Hive? Were you guys too early? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I have to go back into the memory banks to kind of think about the answer to that one. Um, I think we were playing around with like some really amazing concepts back then. I think one of the things that held us back is the idea of, a, a, I mean, it's a term that we used all the time back then, but wasn't mainstream and now kind of is like a two screen experience of like being able to interact with your entertainment live. The, the technology wasn't quite there. Um, you know, mobile wasn't, it wasn't possible to play on mobile. So if you think of something like, oh, HQ is the great example today, right? The the quiz, the mobile quiz game. Yeah, the tri- Trivia HQ. Or HQ yeah, Trivia HQ, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we were doing. We were doing Trivia HQ. It was a live trivia game based on the outcomes of TV shows that you were watching live um, and you were interacting. Like the killer, the killer defining device for that was mobile and we were pre-mobile still. I mean... I was there in 2000 and like iPhone had just launched probably when I was there, 2007, 2008. Um, but you're still pre mass. Uh, you were still pre mainstream touchscreen. Like it was starting, but really, you know, uh, flip phones and T9 texting, if any of your listeners even know what the hell that is, uh, was still probably king back then, queen back then. Um, so yeah, I think we were probably early in the sense that had mobile already been big and we had launched in an app store that you might've got a better uptake. But I think at the end of the day, you know, brands were buying into it and, and uh, you know, they really did pioneer a lot of the things that a lot of companies are using today. Yeah, and you talked about the, uh, the gravitational pull of Waterloo. And so after, um, Live Hive, you went to BlackBerry, uh, which was called Research in Motion Rim back then. Rim back then. Now it's BlackBerry. It is BlackBerry. I think that happened after. Just as I was leaving, they changed my email address, I think. Um, yeah, actually, I escaped for six weeks. Right, yeah. Uh, I so did. Like bolts I, or something? Or chips? <laughs> uh, chipsets. <laughs> chipsets. Uh, uh, let it be known that I once knew how to sell you one hell of a microchip. Um, yeah, I was doing mobile chipset uh, business development. Uh, for a distributor and that was a an interesting time like I so you know truth be told and this is the weird part of your career I was running the branded content side of LiveHive and they pivoted a bit and that part of the business was going away even though uh, it was doing quite well and I got laid off there and uh, that's an interesting point in your career when the first time you realize that you know of course, everyone kind of senses something's about to happen and you assume it's to someone else because what you're doing is going really well and you realize it has nothing to do with 
how well you're doing. If it's not part of the pivot, you're not part of the solution. And uh, that kind of hits you as you're like, oh my gosh, I just got into this thing that I really love. Like I got, it's entertainment and tech and I don't even know what that means, but it, I was doing it and oh my gosh, and now I'm not doing it. What do I do? Um, and I was offered this position uh, to go sell chipsets, uh, which is interesting. Like it did touch my technical mind, but like definitely uh, not so much my artistic mind uh, that I would have hoped it did. Um, but the person who gave me the opportunity was super kind, like a really good person, um, uh, knows his business really well, had massive partnerships and customers and gave me a chance out of nowhere. Like I had no right to do that. And he gave me a chance out of nowhere. And that was really nice of him at a time where like, you know, you get pretty beat up. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but you know, getting laid off beat me up uh, quite a bit mentally. How, how, did, how did you handle that? Like, um. Because I think it's not it's not like you're getting laid off from a job you hate, which I think um, can have a sense of kind of unburdening for many people, but it's, it's getting laid off from something you actually loved doing. You were realizing a dream, like you're working out. You, the branding content side was working; it was successful, and you know it was just outside of your control. Yeah. Um. I think it taught me two things is something being successful uh, to you may not be the same as to the business. So as, as great as I thought it was, if you ask the CEO at the time, it wasn't great enough, right? It, whether he saw a ceiling for it or thought that the investor's capital could be deployed in a different way. I mean, that I, I don't know the exact answer to, but I think that's the first thing I learned is like your view is not the right view. Um, and it's, it's, easy to forget that and especially and still young at this point um you know 26 probably um maybe maybe a bit older but um i say that's young and i don't hope your listeners are like that sounds old to me because then when you find out how old i really am it's just gonna go downhill no it's it's totally young i'm 27 it's really young perfect i love it it's i was so young and naive and hadn't won a lot of bodybuilding championships around the world but you know whatever weightlifting championships around the world. um so uh so that was the first thing. Like it was like a good learning point, right? Um, uh, and the other thing, the, I think the thing that really shook me was like, oh my god, I got to the thing I wanted to do, and I was on a path. Will I ever get back there? Probably not. Like, because the chances of me, we didn't even talk about how I got the job at Angstrom in Vancouver, which is like, one of my parents sat next to a random person on a chairlift once uh, on a ski hill, and they were in the same field I was in. And uh, went, oh, this company I know might be looking for something one day. So I sent her my resume and didn't hear from her for a year and a half. And all of a sudden I get a conference call while I'm, I play beach volleyball sometimes. So I'm on the beach playing beach volleyball and I get a call and I'm obviously on a conference call. And I'm like, who is this? And they say some company name and they're like, oh, we're so excited for this interview. And I have no idea who it is. So I make up some line like, I got to go, but like, can you email me so I can like, get back to you with the time. I need them to email me so I could see what the company name was like after the email address and look them up. So I guess this woman had passed on, not told me, and I was being interviewed for this job that I didn't even know what the job was. So nothing I could have done to get from Toronto to Vancouver, back to Waterloo, I couldn't replicate that. Like it was a series of luck and, you know, I'd like to say very good luck, but like, you know, some made luck in there as well. But like, I couldn't replicate that. And here I am getting laid off from the thing I love going, I can't replicate it. So how do you get back there? So 
um, I jumped on another job that at least satisfied part of me, which was like the technical and talking to human beings. And that's how I ended up in, in that position. So, you know, being laid off means you have to pull on that resiliency string that we all have to figure out at some point in our life when you hit some kind of hardship. Um, but I think the hardest part of it was going, oh my God, I'm never going to get back to anything close to entertainment. So, But you did. Don't, yeah, don't look forward if you want to know. You, you probably already know how it ends. But, <laughs> and, uh. and, and so you did. And how, 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 how did you orchestrate that? Was it, it, I'm sure it wasn't another chairlift no, <laughs> you know what? It, this goes back to you never know who your next employer is going to be. Um, in uh, one part of my career uh, earlier, and we haven't really touched on it, we'll, we'll leave the details of it. I had gotten an investment, or I'd worked with the uh, corporate development group at BlackBerry. And um, I had stayed close with the head of corporate development, a few people in the group, just because they were good humans. And I lived in Waterloo doing this startup, and I figured out I'll keep talking to them. Uh, I left, I got into this, the, the chipset business. Um, and four weeks into that job, I get called from the M&A department at BlackBerry going, we're going to start getting into entertainment. We hear you know some stuff about entertainment now. Do you want to come do the entertainment stuff here? Um, and it was like a really hard moment because I just started a job and I didn't want to be disloyal. Um, and I really believe like if you do good by humans, I'll do good by you. Um, but in the meantime, I'm getting offered at, and at this point, like BlackBerry is one of the hottest brands in the world. Like everyone wanted or had a BlackBerry. Like you didn't pay for product placement at BlackBerry because in every movie, every star just used a BlackBerry. Like it was a phenomenal time at that company. Um, and you're being asked to like start up doing the first entertainment work in partner, doing partnerships with entertainment companies ever. And you're like, I don't know what to do. And the guy who ran the, the distribution company, I, I talked it through with him for a long time. He was so kind about it. He was like, you want, you need to do that. That is for you. That fits you so well. Uh, that's what you need to be doing. And I'm happy to lose you to something you're going to love to do. And he was, wow. It was, and it was really intimidating for me. Cause like it was a, a, the guy who ran, it was, you know, a friend of a friend, super well. And uh, he gave me basically permission uh, without guilt to go, you know, chase, start chasing my dream again so wow that's amazing yeah I, I think a part of me thinks it's rare but at the same time a part of me wishes that was not rare uh, those kind of people yeah you know what i i think i i keep part of that with me today that like my whole job for my employees today is like if your resume is better the day you leave than the day you came in um i probably did a good job and if you're supposed to be somewhere else i will be the one to help you find it like I learned a lot in six weeks. You learned, I, I, it was one of the best lessons I probably ever learned is like, people are going to move for whatever reason they're going to move and holding them back is not good for anyone involved. And so, um, you know, I think that's a, it's not pervasive yet, but you're seeing more of that where people understand that, you know, no one works at a job for 15 years anymore. Yeah. You know, I've been at Wattpad for five and a half and I feel like that's forever, uh, in the best way possible, I should say. But like, you know, I think, you know, our jobs now as employers and managers is leaders is to make the humans feel they're be becoming better every day and eventually good humans find other things to do. And okay, 
go find another human to make good. Like that's that's what you do. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And so now you're at BlackBerry, which is the hot stuff of that time. So hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> Ten years ago, twelve years ago. And you're bought you're buying like content for them with that pool of BlackBerry money <laughs> and um, like. That that's kind of like the jackpot. Like, what what are you buying there, and like how how does all kind of work out? Easy. It started with doing like deeper partnerships with a few app companies. So like we had a deep partnership with a company called Slacker, for example, which was like a radio. It's uh, it, it's like a, a digital radio station app. Um, I started doing our uh, working on relationships, and this is the early days of Facebook and Twitter, and like doing some of our deeper partnerships there. Uh, gaming companies like yay we had partnerships with so first it was just partnerships to kind of get app content or game content or social networking content but really quickly as we were realizing that you know blackberry couldn't stay in its roots uh if you know iphone enters the market android's about to drop we need to have a response to app store we need to have a response to uh, music stores and video stores and music video and gaming really was my problem to deal with Pretty good problem to have um so you know we launched uh, a service called blackberry messenger music uh that was at the time like a spotify competitor spotify was in its early days and so you know i'm licensing music from the major labels and uh you know we launched i think in 15 different countries or something like that so you know how do you get music publishing rights in mexico or germany or the uk and it was just it was amazing, you know, I had influence over the product side, but you know, running a lot of the business side of these businesses, um, you know, setting up VOD stores, uh, video on demand stores. We were still pre, uh, you're still like Netflix is just starting. I, like, I mean, it's, I think they it just started streaming like DVDs still at that point. They right? were still doing DVDs for yeah. sure. That was still a big business, but they had started streaming at this point. So, right. but most of their streaming was being done through like Roku and PlayStation. Like those were probably its biggest streaming platforms maybe at the time. Um, like was there's no direct to TV stuff, right? Um, so the chance to work on all that stuff is, is heaven. It was like I can't believe I, I made it back somehow in another weird way that was just you know keeping relationships with good people um, that got me back into. And again, probably no right to have done that. I hope none of them listen to this and hear that. Like I can't believe they let me dive into this um, right away. But it, it was amazing. Then I got to work found out better ways to work with our marketing teams because they didn't really have a lot of business development help. So I'd help them with their talent deals, for example, when you're dealing with different music artists or, you know, movie stars around the world that we wanted as spokespeople, I would help acquiring content for our marketing channels. And we like produced one of the very first YouTube influencer news shows. We didn't know we had done it, but we were like, eh, why don't we just go get a bunch of people who are good at YouTube and have them do different segments? Like this person will do entertainment and this person will do fashion. And we did a YouTuber show and we had no idea that that was even a thing. So super fun. And, you know, it was still experimental. I mean, yes, Blackberry was making a lot of money, but it's not like I had like a suitcase of unmarked bills I could run around throwing money to Rihanna or something like that. But like, uh, really got to experiment with what mobile and entertainment was going to be. And it was, it was a fascinating time in my life. Like I loved it. I couldn't have asked for more. And yeah, like I, it, it makes me think like during that time, I still think yeah, it wasn't still that obvious yet, I think enough for companies to be like, yeah, like, oh, this YouTube stuff. Yeah, let's double down on it. Let's start owning it or. Oh, man, like that. that I don't know if this is a term, but if anything, I was an accidental genius like that was not done on purpose. That was done at a budget. It was like 
I cannot afford to go get news anchor A, who everyone, you know, the, the best fashion reporters in the world, but this this woman on YouTube is amazing and knows her stuff uh, and I can afford it. And so let's try that. Like that's literally how it came together. So, you know, what do they say? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. That's what it was. Yeah. Like we didn't have the budgets to do anything bigger, so. Oh, that's amazing just because, yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, constraint breeds innovation, right? Yeah. It's just, you have what you work with what you do and um, like what you have and that kind of thing ignites it. But would the BlackBerry like not, was it not something obvious for BlackBerry to continue like investing in for you to like grow this up bigger to eventually compete with, you know, yeah, look, Spotify and there's a lot of articles written on what changed to BlackBerry over the years. And, right. you know, actually I think, you know, they just had an amazing quarter actually. Uh, in their last quarterly reports, I obviously still follow the company. I have so much blood, sweat, and tears and love for the experience they gave me, the brand they gave me, even though they have changed completely as a company. Um, you know, they're not the one of the largest handset manufacturers in the world anymore for all the right reasons they made those changes. But the reason I ended up leaving was it was going to be tougher for me to keep pushing a consumer first um, narrative there um, uh, for much longer. And, um, that's cool. Like there's, there's no, I take no shame in it. Uh, me and my team super proud of what we pulled off in that time, but it was time to make a change. And, um, from there, uh, jumped around a little bit, uh, you know, a stint at Kobo, uh, another fascinating experience, a global company that had just been bought by Rakuten, you know, the Japanese giant, uh, uh, with, you know, looking at different business lines for them uh, within their existing models and outside their existing models, worked really closely with the CEO, the chief content officer, the GM of the company, and really fascinating look at the upper workings of a really big company within a big company. Um, spent some time at Extreme Labs, uh, which was eventually acquired by Pivotal, um, but, you know, one of the best mobile you know, mobile product design companies, uh, product design development companies in the world at the time, you know, two, 300 mobile engineers under one roof. I, we had more mobile engineers than probably anyone. Like we only did mobile. Like we had more mobile engineers probably than was at Facebook at the time. This is pre-Mark going, you know, mobile's the future for Facebook. So another fascinating experience where I got to work with, you know, the likes of Deutsche Telekom, um, uh, worked with um you know the abcs of the world the like some of the espns like we worked with some of the major players uh in the media space again um and i really got to work with them to kind of redefine how mobile will affect their business um which again just i was loving it right i got back to after leaving a little bit like kobo was a little bit of a different space for me but then i got back to again tech and entertainment i got to work with the biggest entertainment in companies in the world. So BlackBerry, where I brought entertainment into a technology company, I was now at a point where I was talking to entertainment companies and bringing technology to them. So I got to see like kind of both ways that flowed. Um, but again, you know, you leave BlackBerry and you're like, oh, I'm never going to get back here again. It's never going to happen. Um, and luckily it did at this point. So Yeah. And after Extreme Labs, you ended up joining your current um, foray into WordPad. Yep. And you mentioned how in our last conversation that if you can become the first business development person at YouTube, you take it. Doesn't matter, doesn't even matter what you know to do. You just take it. And 
this was you know coinciding with the, the time when you were telling me about you moving from Extreme uh, Labs to Wattpad. What and when we look at when you went back to BlackBerry and now you're at Extreme Labs, these are both big companies. You're working with big entertainment um, providers, were like a big technology company, and Wattpad at that time was still relatively much smaller and yeah. growing. And what what did you see? Like what was the what were the traits that you saw that made you go that think that yeah if you if you can be the first business development person at YouTube you take it and this is what I'm going to do with Wattpad um, so first of all Wattpad was a smaller startup but I'm actually much more comfortable at a startup scale up level um, I can work at the big company and actually for anyone listening who thinks their whole life should be at startups if you can find a two year stint to do at a big company it changed my perspective on how to do business um, I finally understood the drivers of why when I was at all these small companies, the big companies wouldn't listen. I finally understood those drivers in a way that I don't think is possible unless you work inside the machine. doesn't mean it's, you know, doesn't have its ups and downs like any big company, but I learned so much there just of how, you know, small up and coming companies can really change their fortune when they're dependent on ecosystems that are controlled by larger companies. So that's a little aside. Um, but I looked at Wattpad and realized what was going on there wasn't books, like I talked about at the beginning. There was no transactional nature of what they were doing. It was a social network, but it was stealing 30 minutes of people's time every time they signed in. And in a world where people spend you know, a minute and a half in Instagram or maybe seven minutes on Facebook at the time, um, and this is old stats, I don't know what the new stats are for those, in case anyone's fact-checking this. Um, I realized 30 minutes is an immense amount of time. And that's not stealing time from reading, that's stealing time from Netflix or, I don't know, what game was hot back, probably Candy Crush or something, whatever game was hot. Like, it was stealing time from other entertainment properties, which meant in itself it was an entertainment property. And like you said, I, I used YouTube as the example, but when someone says you wanna be the first business development at this growing social network around content, and if you looked at the world, there was none for stories like, if Instagram was for pictures and YouTube is for video and SoundCloud is for sound is for audio, there was no social network for fiction, for story writing. And this is like one of the last conquerable types of content out there for a social network. And I have a chance to be the first person with the title business development there. Yeah, I'm gonna take that job. I don't even know what it means. Like to your point, like I don't know what it means. When someone asks you to do that, you know, the risk reward profile is like what I like. You know, this could go nowhere in six months, but like, you're not gonna get a lot of these options coming across your table in life. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's been a good ride since, I guess. Yeah, and when you were telling me about what you what you did here at Wattpad Studios, you're you know, you have an IMDU page, you're practically a, a producer, and I don't even know what a producer did until um, I started, so it's funny, like serendipitously, I discovered Brian, um, Brian Glazer. Glazer, Glazer, yeah. Glazer, Glazer. Um, and Imagine, yeah. he's, he's a fascinating person. And so totally. I, I started digging into all his interviews and um, I started getting an idea of what a producer does. And I thought, yeah. this is fascinating. You're practically an investor in movies. Like you, yeah. like that's how like, I made the connection. I was like, yeah. you're just talking to a lot of fascinating people and you're trying to get like the best stories and you're creating something unique. You're trying to be different constantly. And it's like a great business investment. You need to be contrarian in some ways and to create something with meaningful value. And um, that made me think, wow, Aaron's got a really fascinating job. Um, <laughs> how, how did you pull that one? But you didn't like you. You told me about how you just walked into Alan, the uh, CEO yeah. of Wattpad's office, and you said, "Hey, man, why don't we make a studio?" 
did you have like a pitch deck? Like, did you have all that no. lined up? Oh God, that sounds so fascinating that you, I probably should have had a pitch deck. Huh. Didn't think about that. No, look, there was like a small change in the org structure and I was managing this group of people and we all were like doing content. I'm doing air quotes, which you can't see because I'm looking at a microphone, but I'm doing air quotes. Um, but we didn't know what that meant. You know, most of the group was doing publishing. I was doing some stuff in entertainment, but we weren't focused on let's make our own books and our own films and our own TV. Um, and I walked into a meeting with uh, Alan, our CEO. It was February. I remember the day exactly because like all the stressful days of my life, I remember them by heart. On February 4th, and I go, look, man, I sound really cool collected. I probably was not that cool collected. Uh, I want to change the name of the team to Wattpad Studios, and I just want to focus on content. I just want to make stuff. And he got really quiet, and he looked down. And now Alan is a super thoughtful uh, human being, but I was pretty sure he was going to look up and tell me I should go look for a new job. Like I'm pretty sure that was the end of my... And he looks up and goes, I love it. And then I went... Oh gosh, now I have to figure out how to run a studio. I have no idea what I'm doing, um, which is a little bit, I knew some of what I was doing. But no, there wasn't a massive plan at that point. Like I didn't have a pitch deck. I didn't do revenue projections. It's just, we had this group of people who were starting to do it. We had had some great successes already to that date outside us starting the studio. Things like After, um, which had already sold books all over the world. I had like the top rated teen show in the Philippines for six seasons. Um, a lot of people don't know that, but we did. I think it was 258 episodes in the Philippines, um, all based on Wattpad stories uh, that we produced with the largest, uh, one of the largest networks there. Um, so we started to get like these inklings of tests that I had done previously or that my, uh, like my head of publishing had done previously. Uh, and it was like, we're going to do this full time. Like we have success in market. We don't know where it's going to go, but we think we deserve to be able to bring the diverse set of voices we have to stories everywhere. There's a place for Wattpad story everywhere. And especially in this moment of total disruption in the entertainment universe, where more content is getting made, distributed in more ways by massive players. Like there is a place to start with data, start with built-in audiences and make amazing content all over the world. And that was the inkling of it. And two and a half, close to three years later, we're doing it, so. Wow. And Throughout this whole journey, though, what would you say was kind of uh, a defining moment for you where it was this, this kind of big uh, failure, obstacle, whatever you call it, that you think was pivotal in helping you kind of bring you to this point? Is there anything? It's funny. I I don't know what the pivotal upside moment is. Like, I know, I know when I faced my greatest adversities, um, uh, some I get to keep secret, even though this is a tell-everything podcast, right? Uh, you know, I think there's a couple of things that happened. I, I know coming out of my master's, I had a really hard time finding a job. And that was like the first hit. Like, you know, you go through engineering and everyone says, you get a job, no problem. Like, that's the thing. Engineers, I can't promise you anything else, but you're going to get a job and then you can't get one. And that was a crushing blow. And I learned a lot of resiliency out of that. And it took a friend to give me my first job. And that was hard because like you're, something you think you should earn on your own. I had to ask a favor of someone and you know, that made me learn no one does this on their own. Like there's, there's, I mean, sorry, I shouldn't say that. There are a lot of amazing people who do everything on their own, but it's okay to rely on someone else to give you that first step or give you an edge in, you know, because you do deserve to be there even though 
you know, maybe you didn't go in the normal way. And I think that's been my whole career. I don't think I've ever gotten a job from a resume. I don't think that has ever been a thing I've done ever since then, where I thought that was the only way to get a job. Um, but, you know, I, I think the other pivotal moments was being able to get the brand of BlackBerry behind me to go make phone calls I wouldn't ever be able to make. I think pivotal moments was the coffee I had with Alan Lau where he showed me, and I had known Alan for two and a half years probably before we sat down where I'd followed Wattpad and we had talked about me joining at an earlier stage and it was not right for the company at that point for me to join. And so when I took that coffee with Alan, I did I did it because Alan's an incredibly smart dude and I like listening to him because he's fascinating. But I didn't do it because I wanted a job. In fact, I specifically went, I don't want a job. And by the end of that call conversation, I went, I could be the first business development person at YouTube. And so I think, I think the pivotal moment for me was realizing that if I, early in my career, that if I kept my North Star, there is a chance I'll get back there. If I, if tech and entertainment is my North Star, then just follow it. You're going to find a way back there, but work on something that even if it isn't at that point in time, actually the thing you want to be doing, do something with whatever job you're doing that helps you be better at that one day. Even if it's like 10% of what that job would ever be, like as long as you're moving towards it a little bit and keep that momentum, you'll never lose that. Um, it also helps for me when it says nothing to do with anything. It's like, I like to have the weirdest job at dinner parties and like that helps you say yes to a lot of things that I think a lot of people would say no to. Um, and I say it as a joke, but it is. If, if someone else isn't doing it, it's a reason that it doesn't exist anywhere else or it could be a bad idea is why no one else is doing it. But like have that conversation with yourself. And um, I think that's what I've learned is like, you know, you talk to enough people now and, you know, you talk to thousands of people a year in a job like mine. And you never know how you're going to be at the end of that conversation. Yeah, I think it, it I don't remember which author says it, but um, it might have been Robert Greene who talks about your goal and one of your goals in life should be to try to lead as an interesting life as possible. That's something that's completely different from others as possible. Um, and it's not just to become a great author, but I think, yeah, to experience a wide spectrum of different experiences and you know, go through the right brain, left brain, everything. And only when you see all that wide spectrum can you really see something. But I, I will caution you, your parents will never understand what you do <laughs> to this day. Until they see, uh, I think our movie comes out, after comes out on April 12th, as I mentioned. And I, I got a call from my mom last week. She saw the trailer before another movie. She's like, your movie has a trailer. We're like, I, why do you still not believe me that we are putting a movie out? It's like a week away. Like, this is really happening. We produce movies now. Like, that's what I do. I'm a producer, so, yeah. Um, and as we kind of hit upon, like, the final picks of our interview, yeah. um, I also wanted to ask, kind of going on this theme, so then if the uh, the 20-year-old uh, Aaron was looking at you right now um, from his, I guess, what, third year room in Waterloo, what do you think the emotional reaction from that Aaron would be? Which Aaron? The old Aaron? Or the, the, the old Aaron would cry that he used to be that young. No. But uh, the young Aaron would yeah, the, do? The, the, uh, the, the one that uh, walked walk into the Amazon career session and thought, I'm not going to work here. Oh my <laughs> God. We didn't even tell that story. <laughs> where you want to quickly touch on that? Oh yeah. This is a great one. Uh, yeah, I, I okay, this is one on. of my big failures in life. Uh, it was third year engineering. And at the time, you know, like uh, people who were doing recruiting... Um, and this is at like the height of the the Silicon Valley first boom, first bubble. Um, and 
you know, they would host these like pub nights and you'd go and you'd learn about the company, but you get free food and uh, beverage to go along with it. So we'd go to them knowing that we'd never work at these places. But, you know, as a student, to get free wings is like, I mean, there's nothing, there's literally nothing better. Unless they paid your rent also, there was nothing better you could do than get a free meal. So we go to this place and I didn't even know what the company was for, but we knew they almost every night of the week during co-op time, like there was going to be someone doing it at this bar. So you showed up and gave them your resume and you got to go in for free. They're like, yeah, you know what? You, you can really come work. I'm like, I'm a mechanical engineer. What's this job? Like, oh, you know, we're going to sell books online. It's going to really work. It's starting to work. And I'm like, mechanical engineer, I can't sell books online. Like, we'll teach you. Can you code a little bit? I'm like, yeah, I can code. Like, that's all we need. Come on in. It's like still a small company. It's going to be amazing. You have to come to Seattle, but it's going to be fun. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I was going to buy a book from a place called Amazon. So I could have been one of the early uh, Amazon co-op students and instead just ate free wings. Um so, um, you know, Jeff Bezos, who obviously listens to this podcast, just know what you missed out on. No. Um, so, yeah. So uh, what would young Aaron say? Um, I think young Aaron would not believe because I, I, I mean, I swear, I, I swear, like I wake up morning still and go, I can't believe this is my life. Like we did our first preview viewing um, yesterday for the company. And, you know, when you see your name in the credits, but in the morning you were looking through um, deep statistics of engagement time around stories and go in the morning I did my math and in the afternoon I did my art, like, and watching the company realize that we are now in the entertainment, we're now in the movie business, we've been in the entertainment business for a long time. I mean, I don't think 20 year old Aaron would believe that or even know that this job could be a thing. Like you think about 20 years ago, this job could not have existed 20 years ago. So I think, you know, whatever hardship he was going through at that time, and I know them, I have them written down a list I still read once in a while, um, is like, you can't predict it. And I think especially in today's day and age where like some new company can take off tomorrow or the next day, or a big company can completely pivot like a Blackberry and become something reborn and amazing again. Like, don't put all your hopes on what you think your path will be back then because all I can promise you is you're wrong. I don't know how wrong, you could be 5% wrong or 100% wrong like I was. Like, I have not designed a Ferrari yet. Um, but at the same time, like, it's made, it builds in resilience because you're not worried about, oh, my God, I'm not following the exact path that everyone else did or I'm not following the path even I thought I should. Perfect. Um, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And for our listeners who want to get involved with, like, Wattpad, um, is it Wattpad.com? How can they find the company? Wattpad.com. You can download our app as one of the most downloaded apps in the App Store. Um, uh, Look for specific stories. If you want, you know, good sci-fi, go read Expiration Date. If you want amazing amazing fantasy, read White Stag. uh, Or go buy it on bookshelves uh, because it came out in January. Go see our movie after, watch our series light as a feather there's lots of ways to get involved in the universes that get created um but uh please do yeah great thank thanks so much for coming on the podcast man i had a lot of fun it was a blast all right great thanks so thanks for listening to the podcast if you enjoyed what you heard please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. 
Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way. And included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.